soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. Chapter 11, verse 14 of Luke's Gospel reads like this. And he that is Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom is divided against itself, is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divided his spoils. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Let's stop there. There's a couple things we're going to learn and look at in application tonight as we go forward in the, this chapter 11 is with the conflict. So here we have this conflict. Many of you are familiar with this story and the background to it and where it's going. But first of all, you just got to love verse 14. It's a good thing. Isn't it a good thing when someone has been controlled by the devil and can't speak, is delivered from a demon, and can speak. Like, that's really good news. Like, everything Jesus does is good. The fingerprints of Christ bring life. The words of Christ speak life. He speaks life, he brings life. When we're walking in the Spirit, we speak life, we bring life. That's how it should be. Like, edify and build up. That's who we want to be. But even we find in the human experience, when we do good, and we speak good, there's plenty of people around us who don't appreciate good, or appreciate a spoken word that's good. Some people have a very negative disposition. Some people have a very unbelieving disposition. Some people, no matter how many positive things you can say, they can, they're just going to go like a chessboard with you in checkers to give a negative response. And that's challenging when you work with people like that or even, unfortunately, live with people like that. It's a difficult environment to be in. In ministry, you get this kind of stuff all the time where God's doing a work and some people can see it and it's beautiful and some people are just opposed to it or want to disagree with it, have an opinion about it. And that's why I like to quote, let God be true and every man a liar because God's work speaks for itself. But I think it's so interesting and noteworthy that the beginning of this whole segment of scripture we're going to look at tonight begins with Jesus doing a very good thing. We almost, because there's so much drama, like negative emails, negative blogs, negative comments, negative tweets, you almost forget that this all starts with a really good thing. That's what, 
That's what human contention and strife and judgment and condemnation does. That's what people do when they fight the Lord, resist the Spirit, and come against those who are walking in the Spirit. You get off the main point. You get away from your core values of purpose, and you get off the good things that are positive, and you have to confront and deal with the things that are negative. This is management. This is leadership. This is work. This is the human experience. This is your neighborhood. This is your kid's sports team. This is life. That's why it's so important you know what the main thing is. It's so important that you know what your core values are. It's so important that you know what your primary goals are so when you're in a difficult conflict, you don't get pulled from the place of staying true to who you are or as the slogan says, true to this. We need to be true to who we are in our character of our core values and we need to be true to who we are and the purpose of what we're doing. Jesus is who he is and he does what he does and he did what he did And nothing's going to move him from that. He always did those things that pleased the Father. So you can be doing exactly what God has you to do, a good work, and there can be all this conflict around you, and you can't let the conflict pull you off of and distract you from what, what really matters and what you're called to do. We can get so consumed by the white noise and the opposition that we can lose heart and the willingness to to be true to what God's called us to do. This is life as a senior pastor, by the way. It's been a wonderful experience here. And there's been some challenges, of course, but I think of someone like Pastor Brian Broderson, when you gotta come in after Pastor Chuck goes to be a Jesus, those are tough shoes to fill. Like, who can fill those shoes? But God prepared him for it a decade before when he came in on Monday nights after Greg Laurie went out too. I mean, Brian Broderson had the distinction of coming in on Monday nights after Greg Laurie and then coming in Sunday mornings after Pastor Chuck. And there's just no way you could please everybody. Think who had to follow Charles Spurgeon at his church when he went to be at the Lord. You know, just, it's, it's just the way it is. People compare people. People have ideas and opinions. Some are valid, some aren't. Let God be true and every man a liar. But this is a good work. We, we, because of all this Satan talk and all these things, you almost miss the fact that a kid who is demon-possessed or a person who is demon-possessed and couldn't even talk, the grip of the demon was so strong on him, that Jesus touched him and healed him and the demon was cast out and the light came and hope came and a new dawn came and happiness came and joy came. We can't lose track of that in the rest of this text because I think that's very important to keep in mind. Because if you lose track of this first verse, you're just like, oh man, I don't even want to go to work. I don't even want to go out. I don't want to go out and plant a church if this is what I got to deal with. Like you just, I don't want to be in management. I don't want to be CEO. I don't want to be the head coach. It's like, who needs this? And by the way, you never make decisions that are people that please everybody, right? In management, you learn this at six-year-old AYSO soccer. Like that, I mean, you'd be, you'd be surprised how crazy parents and and people can be over six-year-old AYSO soccer or little league t-ball, coach pitch, machine pitch. It's the human experience. I want to keep that in mind. So let's keep this plumb line for the rest of this night that a good thing happened here that was really cool. And there were people who marveled. There were people who appreciated what happened. When you do the right thing and good things happen, the people that are opposed to you or come against you, they'll make the most noise. Jesus just said in the, chap- in the text last week that you'll, you'll deal with your annoying neighbor just to get them off your back, not because you like them or you care about them, but you'll just do it to get rid of them. There are people that you know, have lots of money. They'll set up an account that someone else can get money from month to month just so they have to deal with that person. 
The policy of appeasement. There are people that create problems all the time and they learn that they can be appeased because so often in human nature, instead of appreciating the positive and what God's doing in a good way, we focus on all the negative and it brings us down and we just want to deal with this and put out this brush fryer and deal with that and, and all that. And it's challenging. So don't forget tonight in this text that a good thing happened. A very good thing happened by Jesus to the glory of God the Father and being faithful to do those things that the, the, the Father entrusted to him. And there were people who appreciated it and who marveled at that good work. We can't let negative environments change us for who we are in the Lord and being the best we can be in what he's called us to do. And we need to be faithful to see it through whatever he's called us to do, no matter how opposing or how much conflict and tension can arise in doing the best we can in our decision-making, in leadership, head of the house, business, whatever. So many people will coach a sports team in high school, one and done, or little league team, or Pop Warner, or basketball, or soccer. It's just like, I can't deal with this. And it's life. It really is life. So let's look at how Jesus, after doing a good thing, how he handles false accusations, because these are false accusations. To say, that the, to say that the finger of God is the work of Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, King of the Demons, is so blasphemous that, of course, in Matthew's account, we're told it is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the same story. We're told, Jesus says, you know what, I, I can forgive anybody. My father can forgive anybody, forgive anybody. But you should understand, when you take that which is the work of the Holy Spirit and ascribe it to the devil, you have no hope. Because it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if you resist the Holy Spirit, you cannot be saved. And that's what was happening to this generation. They were rejecting the witness and the work of the Holy Spirit and saying that the ministry that Christ did, remember when Jesus came out of the water, the Spirit descended upon him. It was perfect unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's, in Matthew's account, he says, if if you attribute the work of the Spirit to Satan, you have no hope and you've committed the unpardonable sin because you're blaspheming and you're resisting the work of the Spirit that you need to receive to be saved. It's a false accusation. It was the finger of God. And there were those that marveled and understood that. But there's always somebody that says, oh, it's this or that, and it's a false accusation. There's always somebody in verse 16 who's going to test, as they test the Lord, they're going to test you in obedience to the Lord. Well, why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing it that way? And, and this and that and everything else. And in the context, he says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Now, I love how Jesus uses practical sound wisdom. Now, we're told that Jesus catches the wise in their own craftiness. Some people are a little bit sharper than other people in kind of tit-for-tat type of dialogues, if you will. Some people think a little sharper on their feet than others, and some are average, if you will. I don't think I'm particularly great at it. I don't think I'm particularly horrible at it. My son, Luke, is brilliant at it. Uh, some people are just really sharp, man. They just really, you know, and... and the, me, I'm like, I feel like I always walk away like, I shouldn't have said that, and I should have said this. Can you relate to that? When you have a difficult conflict, you feel like, I shouldn't have said that. How did I get pulled into that? Or, like, how did I get over there on that? What was that all about? And, oh, and I should have said this. 
That's what happens when you have conflict. You kind of get the adrenaline going, and, and that's why you just got to slow things down. And we look at Jesus here, and he uses just basic reasoning. If a kingdom is divided, it cannot stand. That's how you get church splits. If the church is split, they'll split. People will split, or the church itself will split. Divided kingdom. Now, the Bible tells us endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So we know in any church, there's a mind of the Spirit that has already established unity. And you get a division when the people in leadership can't come together and humble themselves to find and embrace that unity. The unity is always obtainable in church leadership. There never has to be a church split any more than there ever has to be a split in a marriage. But we have free will and we're self-determined. But the Bible tells us don't, don't try and create unity. The Bible tells us maintain unity. Christ is not divided. And when there's a church split, somebody somewhere in leadership has been unable to humble themselves to a point to find that unity. So a kingdom divided, it can't stand together. Which is kind of amazing when you think about the United States because we've been pretty divided for a long time. And we're still going strong, which is the miracle of the Lord. And as long as that horse is winning, I guess we just ride that horse from here to the sunset. God only knows how that's... It's, I think it's one of the greatest miracles is that this country is pretty much split down the middle and is still the apple of the, the world's eyes for where people want to live and move and, and have the, the life that we're able, most of us are able to enjoy. But a kingdom divided cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. So... Again, in a Christian home where there's not unity, the unity's already there, so pride, unforgiveness, malice, bitterness, those things come in, and there you go. The house is divided. That's how it happens. It just takes one person to wreck a marriage. It doesn't take two. It takes one. It's been in ministry 30 years. Early in ministry, you're pretty like, God, how did they not work it out? Man, the law... The, older, the longer I've been in ministry and the longer I've lived, it's not that divorce surprises me. The fact that everyone's not divorced is what surprises me. I mean, it's an amazing thing that human beings can live together. We'll divide over which ice creams to get at uh, Baskin Robin or something, you know? Like, it's like, no. It's like that we can actually function together is a beautiful thing. And, and, but there's, of course, a great life that God intends for Christian marriages to represent Jesus in the church, and it's obtainable, but it doesn't take much to wreck it. Like I mentioned the other night, teaching on marriage in First Peter chapter 3, that I'm just so blessed and grateful for 30 years of, of wonderful marriage with my wife. It's been incredible. I'm a very blessed man, and I'm trying to be a better version of me in Jesus' name for the future than what I was in the past. I figure like, hey, I can't change the past, but I can I can try and be more of who I could be in the future, and that's a good plan for second half of life in the journey. But that kingdom divided can't stand, the house divided can't stand, because the individual cannot stand if we're divided. See, this is where it all begins. Because if Satan is divided, verse 18, how's his kingdom going to stand? See, the Bible talks about a divided heart. In James, it says that anyone likes wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it to him. But let not that man or that woman ask double-mindedly. We can have a divided heart. We can be double-minded. And this text is going to take us toward more of that as we progress in it. So, Jesus just says, if Satan is uh, schizophrenic, if you will, to totally divided in personality, how will his kingdom stand? 
Like Satan, like if the logic and reason is like a kingdom can't stand divided, a house can't stand divided, and a person cannot stand with a divided heart. Which really brings up a key thought for a moment that that's what the Lord wants us is with him is an undivided heart fully committed to him. As we end this text tonight, if I forget to bring all the wagons back into to the corral, <laughs> Jesus says that if the eye is good, the whole body's good. That's an undivided heart. That's where this is going. It would make no sense to be self-inflicted in division. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says, and if I do this how about your people who cast out demons? He said, they'll be your judges. So he just, he, he gave a little illustration, just like this, 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 sound reason, logic, and just moved on from it. He just said, therefore, he made his point. He's not going to write a follow-up email or another blog response, if you will. He just made his point. This is what you say. This, this, and this. It's totally illogical what you say. It's But see, when people reject Christ and people are fighting God, reasonable people become very unreasonable. You see that in the human experience. You just don't want to be that person. You see people who are so proud of logic and reason who completely check their brains out when it comes to origins and common sense things of order and design in our universe from the macro of the billions of galaxies to the micro of this human cell system. So their structure in the, the human body. And Romans 1 tells us that. He says because they reject God, their brain just checks out and they want to do whatever they want to do and live like animals and they can't think straight. And when we resist the Holy Spirit, God help us where we can go into the end line of our depravity. And God said to that generation that was destroyed by the flood, my spirit will not always strive with man. We don't want to resist the Holy Spirit. We want to respond to the Holy Spirit. They resisted the Holy Spirit. The mute person is talking. The demon is gone. And people are going, wow, that's amazing. People are like, nah, it's just this and that and whatever. You know, you can win it all, and it's still not enough for some people. Because you didn't win the way they thought you should win, right? I mean, life is crazy like that. The human experience is, it's like that. But Jesus is staying on track. And he brings up this point in verse 21 that a strong man has authority and can exercise authority over anything. So his point is, one has to be stronger than another to conquer them. And Jesus is the final authority. Jesus is the final authority over the physical realm, the spiritual realm, every realm imaginable that we can understand in a multidimensional world. He has authority over all of it because all things are made by him and for him and him all things consist and are held together. There's nothing that was made that, that was not made by him and for him. And the father loves the son and gives all things into his hands. He's the judge of all things. He's the ruler of all things. He's the Lord of all. And he is the strong man. He said to the, uh, in Revelation to the church of Philadelphia, I open a door that no man can close and I close a door that no man can open. It is that simple. If he wants you going through that door, you're going through that door and nobody's stopping you. If he wants to protect you from going through the wrong door, he's going to lock that door and there's not a safe cracker in the world that can open that door. And that's the wisest thing ever to say, well, you know, it's just not meant to be. 
Paul recognized in his journeys, that door's closed, that door's closed. He was smart enough to recognize, no, the Lord's not in that. Let's just take a step back and just kind of hang here in this port city till we figure out something that the Lord shows us, like a dream of a man saying, come to Macedonia. But he, was, he, got, through, he got into a mountain pass with a ministry team. He's like, mm, the Lord's not in this. Jesus is the final authority. When he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And when we think about what he's called us to do in any leadership role or even just basic obedience role where there's conflict, we have to remember that he is the final authority. He raises up and he brings down. He appoints and he entrusts and he brings down. And the one that honors him, he will be honored. She will be honored. And that needs to be our focus, is our trust is in the Lord. If David is meant to be king, there's nothing King Saul can do to stop it. And even though one year David's acting like a madman at the gates of the Philistines, and he is such a good actor, everyone believes he has completely lost it, there's not one person on the planet that thinks he hasn't gone completely nuts. And yet, years later, he reigns in the south over the tribe of Judah, and seven years later, all Israel is unified and he reigns over Israel. Who has resisted his will and prospered? How unsearchable are his ways and his thoughts past finding, the unsearchable depths of his riches. So he is the final authority, and Jesus is functioning under the Father's authority in this text with this conflict. He always does those things that please the Father. So it's a good day. It's a happy day. The mute person is delivered from a demon, speaks, and people marvel. All this other stuff is just the noise. It is a, it's a full road game, if you will, using the VBS sports analogies from uh, shore, uh, Shoreline here. It's just life is a road game. Get good on the road. Be a good road team because life is a road game. When you go to work, it's a road game. Even when you go to church sometimes and work at a church, it's a road game. Life is tough, man. You got you to suck it up and trust in the Lord, lean on him grow, go forward, and be who we're meant to be. So I like that Jesus says in verse 21, the strong man can overcome the weaker, and he is the final authority. So whatever conflicts we we might have in our life when we're doing good, we we need to believe and trust that Jesus is a strong man, and nothing's dumb luck or random, but that God, God allows us these things, you know, and as a senior pastor or even a ministry, you get critiques and you get letters. I mentioned this recently where Chuck, Pastor Chuck called me in his office one time and he said, uh, this is for you. And it was a really nasty letter against me, but written to Chuck, you know, like, uh-oh. And, and it was like one of those great moments where he gave it to me. He goes, this one's for you. This is yours. I, I, I've got my own. And that's all he said. You know, it's like you can do what you want with it. And, and, um, and, and you, you get stuff like that. You get Letters, you get people coming against you. You get people lying about you. Some of you at work have had people lie about you to try and undermine you. Daniel had people trying to undermine his job in Babylon when the, when the kings loved him and appreciated his hard work and his character, his integrity, and his convictions and core values. He was a great employee. He rose rapidly in the business of running the most powerful empire in the world. Joseph was faithful in Egypt in the prison falsely accused, didn't get bitter, stayed on point, stayed on track, true to this. And then boom, in one day he goes from the prison to the palace and he's got the signet ring and he's riding in a chariot. It can flip like that. It's not about what's going on, but it's about being true to who we are and trusting that God 
is over that and not getting off point. Jesus is fulfilling the ministry of the Father here. And part of that is dealing with these things. And part of being faithful to the Lord is dealing with conflict, especially in leadership and management. In doing the U.S. Olympic stuff, I've, I've gotten a lot of stuff coming against me. And uh, I, I, I like it, actually. Because I feel like for 30 years of ministry, as much as I've had some pretty gnarly stuff, I haven't really had stuff even close to what Brian Broderson gets, right? My pastor. You know, so I feel like, like, I kind of I like it. It's like, I feel like I've had this coming for a while, these kind of emails and these type of attacks and critiques and stuff. And, and I told Jennifer, like, oh, this one's so gnarly. I, I got to deal with this one right now. So she goes, don't tell me about this stuff. You know, like, she goes, I don't even want to know. I'm like, no, no, no. I go, this is really good because God's using this in my life at 57 to refine and simplify my thoughts. Where you, you, you write all this and then you reduce 80% of it over the next hour and a half as you just stick on, stick to the main points and stay on track. That's what you do. Conflict's not a bad thing because, hey, hi, touchy. Conflict's not a bad thing because it refines your perspective and focus on what you're doing. See, Luke, when he went to OCC and stood for the Lord in his classes at that junior college, debate classes, other classes, as people peppered him over his faith in Jesus Christ, over his core values and convictions, he became very strong and deliberate and clear in his thought process. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.